Amen. Well, so it's a new year. We're, um, we're starting a new series this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at the Creed, which we recite uh, every week. I think there's a little slide up here behind me to sort of get us in the mood. The word creed, it comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe. I didn't go to a school which was posh enough to teach Latin, but uh, I gather that's what the word uh, means. I believe, that's how it starts. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and so on. And uh, I'm going to read for us Hebrews chapter 11, uh, the first six verses. And verse six is going to be our key verse for this morning. So if you've got Hebrews 11 there, I'm going to read. It's all about belief, all about faith. So faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what was seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought, a better, brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because... Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So the reason we're um, studying the creed over these next several weeks is is because of what it says in verse 6. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, what is faith? And the creed, of course, is an articulation, a summary of the faith of the Christian faith. It sort of summarizes what's in the Bible. The key... The the, the sort of the big stones, the key building blocks, the foundations of the faith, which is why there are some bricks up there in that picture uh, behind us. The foundations of faith which need to be in place. Uh, The old book of common prayer introduces the section on the basis of faith by saying that these things are for the avoiding of diversities of opinions. For the avoiding of diversities of opinions and for the establishing of consent touching true religion. That's interesting, isn't it? Because there are all sorts of things about we're happy to agree to disagree, whether we like hymns and robes and would feel more comfortable at the nine o'clock service, which we've just had, or whether we like guitars and uh, noise and uh, feel more comfortable at this 10.30 service. Uh, The Bible doesn't say anything about that kind of thing. Uh, It doesn't say anything about whether we prefer to celebrate Holy Communion once a week or once a month, or indeed once a year, as a friend of mine's church does, or every day, as some people down the ages have um, said that they want to. Well, the Bible doesn't say uh, anything about that, and the creed doesn't. It's not one of the, what you call the bare essentials. They're they're sort of agree-to-disagree things. But the creed is the non-negotiables. We could have called it the bare necessities, this series. What C.S. Lewis called mere Christianity, kind of the, the irreducible, you know, the bits which all of the churches and denominations down the ages have all agreed are absolutely key to Christian faith. So for the next few weeks in the run-up to Lent, we're going to be working our way line by line through this first section of the Creed. The Creed is in three chunks about Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It would be a very long series that took the entire thing. Maybe we'll come back and do the, the second and the third bits uh, at some later date. But we're going to just work through five weeks, working through the first uh, section about God the Father. But this morning, uh, I just want to introduce this series by focusing really on the first two words. I believe. I believe. The idea of faith at all, 
what belief actually is. And uh, faith and belief, they're the same word. Have a look again at verse 6. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And so you could swap belief and faith around, because they're the same word in the original language of the New Testament Greek. Without belief, you could say it's impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must have faith that he exists. So I've got two questions that I just want us to think about this morning. First of all, why bother with a creed at all? And secondly, what difference does it make if we are those people who subscribe to it, if we say it wholeheartedly week by week? Why do we need, first question, why do we need some centrally agreed upon basis of faith? And second question, what does it mean if I'm going to be somebody who is going to decide to join in with those words and say, I believe? So first question, why bother? Why bother with a creed? And I suppose one of the objections that people might have to this whole idea of saying an old creed like this is it's a symptom of what I suppose you might call organised religion. Now, many people aren't particularly big fans of organised religion. Uh, A friend of mine bumped into Kylie Minogue in a bar in London, and uh, he uh, had the audacity to stroll up to her and start a conversation. And he's a, a vicar, so he wanted to ask her, Um, do you believe in God? And her answer was tentative. She said, I'm spiritual. I think she speaks for many who would say that they're spiritual, if not religious. Many people aren't atheists. It's just that they don't identify with these old creeds of the Christian faith. C.S. Lewis uh, recounts uh, a conversation like that. I've had lots of conversations with people who said something like that. I'm spiritual but not religious and are um, sceptical of the creeds. He recounts a conversation that he had in this book, Mere Christianity, with an, with an RAF captain who said that he'd experienced God for himself out there in nature, in the desert, alone at night. He'd had a direct spiritual experience of God, which seemed to him far more real than the dry and dusty creeds of the Christian church. And this is what he says about that. Uh, if I can find the page. He says, in a sense, I quite agreed with that perspective. I think he probably had had a real experience of God in the desert. And when he turned from that experience to the Christian creeds, I think he was really turning from something real to something less real. In the same way, if a man had once looked at the Atlantic from the beach and then goes and looks at a map of the Atlantic, he will also be turning away from something real to something less real, turning from real waves to a bit of coloured paper. But here comes the point. The map is admittedly only coloured paper, but there are two things you have to remember about it. In the first place, it's based on what hundreds and thousands of people have found out by sailing the real Atlantic. And in that way, it has behind it masses of experience just as real as the one you could have from the beach. Only while yours would only be a single glimpse, the map fits all those different experiences together. And in the second place, if you want to actually go anywhere, the map is absolutely necessary. As long as you're content with walks on the beach, your own glimpses are far more fun than looking at a map. But the map is going to be more use than walks on the beach if you actually want to go to America. And so what he's saying is that the creed, in a way, it's like a map for people who want to actually get somewhere with their spiritual experience. Where do we want to get? Well, verse 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him, 
anyone who wants to come to God, to the true God. I mean, if we actually want to experience God for ourselves, then surely it seems sensible to realise that we're not the first people who've been asking that question. Surely we ought to listen to the cumulative experience of others who have sought God down the centuries. Surely organised religion in that sense is much better than disorganised religion. It's a group of travellers who are getting together along a well-trodden path. It'd be the height of arrogance for anyone to assume that they could ignore the collective wisdom of thousands of years of church history and try to come to God on our own. Or, as Fred would say, I want to do it all by myself. Well, I think people have discovered that over the past 60 or 70 years, where we have prioritised personal experiences, it actually hasn't seemed to benefit people. The foundations, if you like, of the Christian faith as a society, we've kind of dismantled them, haven't we? But actually, it seems like nothing better has been erected in its place. And so that means that people are feeling rather lost. And uh, they've been told to make their own way through life based on their own feelings and experiences. But we don't know how, how to live life. And sadly, that's why apparently nine out of ten young people aged 16 to 29, nine out of ten report that their life lacks meaning or purpose. We've got a crisis of meaning. We've got no foundations as a society, which is why it's extraordinary that at the same time as people have dismantled the old Christian faith, hundreds of thousands of people wanted to get into a queue to go and see Her Late Majesty the Queen lying in state. It was extraordinary, wasn't it? Just to sort of get a glimpse of what? Of of something like kind of a spiritual experience and people queued for so long, over a day they had to shut the queue. so that they could be in the presence of, and do, do sort of put hands together, say a prayer, have a spiritual experience. It was many people observed that it was an extraordinary phenomenon that here was a generation without any foundations for whom the queen represented something bigger and higher and older, a faith, an ancient connection to a God who's looking increasingly attractive to people who perhaps had written him off. Stand at the crossroads and look, said the prophet Jeremiah. Ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and there you will find rest for your souls. And I think increasingly that's what people want to do. So the creed is, if you like, like a map of the ancient, well-trodden path for those who want to do, as verse 6 says, and come to God. Why bother with a creed? Nobody would attempt to get to America without a map. Extraordinary that anybody would attempt to get to know God solely based on their own experience. And yet they do. I remember a friend of mine who was um, going for ordination in the Church of England, and he, he went along to the selection conference, which is like the interview. And apparently at dinner, one of the other candidates for ordina- ordination, by way of a conversation starter, struck up with the question, do you ever wonder what, I wonder what God is actually like? What's God actually like? And now my friend was far too polite to kind of say what he wanted to say, but he told me afterwards what he really wanted to say was, how do you not know what God is like? We know what God is like because the Bible tells us. Jesus has told us that God is like a father who longs to throw his arms around the prodigal children as they return. He's the one who made the world. He's infinitely creative and good and powerful. And that's why, as we work through this creed, We're going to take over the next few weeks the fact that God is the loving Father. He's the the powerful sovereign. He's the creative designer. The creed says, I believe in God, the Father, the Almighty. The Father's next week. The Almighty, the week after. The maker of heaven and earth, the week after that. 
It says in verse 6 that faith requires us to believe that he exists. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Well, that's a pretty low bar, isn't it? And I think that for many people, when we think about faith, we think about this idea of the existence of God and perhaps come across things like the cosmological argument for the existence of God. Uh, You might have come across these sorts of arguments like uh, everything that has a beginning must have a cause. And so this pew must have had a beginning. Somebody's made it. Who's made it? Somebody must have made it. Well, they must have chopped down a tree. Well, how did the tree get there? Somebody must have planted the tree and so on. You go back and back and back. And because the universe had a beginning, we know because of the Big Bang, because of Mr. Hubble and his telescope, therefore something must have caused uh, the Earth. And therefore God must exist. He must be the uncaused causer. Well, that's a pretty good argument. Yeah, it's difficult to disagree with that. But as somebody has said, the existence of God is his least interesting attribute. Just that he exists. Actually, much more interesting is what we're going to spend time on as we work our way through this creed. His fatherhood, his creativity, his almighty power. So I hope you're excited about studying this uh, over the next several weeks. Why bother? It's the ancient map. Let's study it together. But second, what does it mean for us to say we believe it? Because what this is saying is that true faith, it's much more than simply the knowledge of information. Much more just knowing God exists. Actually, James in his letter says, you believe God exists? Good. The demons believe that and shudder. Actually, it says here in verse 6, anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, yes, but also, and this is the key uh, sentence for us to focus on is that he rewards those who earnestly seek him he rewards those who earnestly seek him so this is uh, this hebrews chapter 11 it's the great chapter on faith in the whole bible uh, it's all about people doing things by faith you look at the, it's got the heading at the top of the chapter faith in action And the reality is there's no such thing as faith which is not in action. You can't have an inactive faith. If we truly believe something, we'll do something about it. If I really believe that I know something's going to happen, well, I'll act differently now on the basis of that knowledge. It gives Abel as an example of true faith in verse 4. By faith, Abel did this. He brought God a better offering than Cain did. He earnestly sought God whilst Cain didn't. Sure, Cain believed in God. He obviously knew he existed. Possibly he would have joined in the creed if he was in church this morning. Maybe like many people who are in churches up and down the country, happy to mouth the words and say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. But he didn't earnestly seek him, verse 6. And therefore, he wasn't rewarded. It says that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What does it mean that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Jesus speaks in similar language in the Sermon on the Mount. Your father will reward you. Well, verse 5 says that Enoch didn't experience death. Extraordinary that Jesus promises the reward of eternal life for those who belong to him. But more than that, I think the reward which is written about here is the reward of simply knowing God for who he is knowing him personally, enjoying communion, fellowship with him. King David, who wrote the Psalms, he had everything in the world. The most powerful man in the world, wealthiest, he had palaces, he had beautiful companions, and uh, he had everything that you could, the heart could desire. And yet, he wrote in the Psalms, one thing I ask from the Lord, 
Only one thing. This only do I seek. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him, to seek him in his temple. Is that our experience if we join in the creed week by week? Does that mean that we've got a faith which makes us earnestly seek the Lord? Will we earnestly seek him this year? It's a powerful word, isn't it? Seek. Seek and you'll find. Seek first, Jesus says, the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be added to you. Do we earnestly seek him? Or do we, as the old King James Bible puts it, diligently? He rewards those who diligently seek him. Do we seek him earnestly? Do we seek him diligently? Do we seek him deliberately, persistently, daily? At the start of a new year, it's quite a good time for resolutions, Francis. Um, King David had a resolution in that psalm. He said, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. I'm making that my, my resolution for this year. I know it sounds ridiculous in one sense for a vicar to say that, somebody who's been a Christian for a long time. I just want to seek the Lord. What does that look like for you this year? Why don't you make a resolution? How are you going to seek the Lord? He's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Read the Bible if you don't already. It's not too late to start a, a Bible reading plan in the new year. You can pick up one of these. This is my Bible in one year. You can get one of these for about £3.62 on eBay, secondhand, delivered, which divides up the Bible into 365 chunks of the Old Testament, 365 chunks of the New Testament. So it's manageable. Or you can do it with an app if you're better at things like that than me and don't get distracted on social media while you're trying to read your Bible. Why don't you, well, read a Christian book? This is, mere Christianity is a great place to start. Come and ask for a book recommendation. Give you something interesting to read. Seek the Lord. Why don't you listen to worship music in the car or around the house and fill that time, instead of listening to whatever nonsense is being talked about on the radio, with seeking the Lord? Why not join a Bible study group? We've got a number of uh, home groups which are, which are going on already. New people always welcome to join. We can start some new ones. Yeah, we can get so far on our own, but we're supposed to journey together, aren't we? What about joining a team at the start of this new year? I know it sounds like maybe that's a bit of a tangential recruitment drive to get people to get on the rotor. But I've just observed again and again and about the most reliable way that people have grown and developed in faith is by choosing to commit to serving the church. Actually, you know, here's Peter at the back on the sound desk. He probably would appreciate someone else mucking in and, and joining in. Why don't you serve God in that way? Or join the tea and coffee rotor, or help out with Sunday Club down here, or join the welcome team, or any number of different ways in which you might choose to serve God. Seek him through service. I don't know how confident you are this morning. If you had to sort of take the temperature of your faith. Look at verse 1. It says what faith is. It's confidence, isn't it? Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. Do you feel confident in your knowledge of God this morning? Maybe you don't. And maybe this is a, an opportunity as we study this creed to step back and, and analyse, do I really believe the content of what is being declared? We're going to say the creed in a moment. Interestingly, Donald Trump uh, got into uh, hot water a couple of years ago at the funeral of George Bush Sr., for not joining in with the creed. Did you see that? He was stood next to Bill and Hillary and Barack and Michelle, and there was Donald and Melania. You know, they were faithfully sort of, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven. And Donald was just stood there like that, stony-faced, tight-lipped through the creed. And people said, how could he sort of be so disrespectful not to join in the creed? There's a part of me, though, that actually wondered, a fair play, maybe he doesn't believe it. You know, maybe he doesn't actually. The creed says that Jesus Christ is our Lord. <laughs> Yeah, maybe Donald doesn't think that Jesus is Lord. Maybe Donald wants to be Lord of his own life. 
And maybe we do as well. Maybe actually just step back and not say the creed and work out whether we do believe that. Come on, Alpha. Ask your questions. That's the place to do it. And work out whether this ancient path really is trustworthy and we want to say it together. And maybe we do believe. Maybe we have got faith. Faith isn't about how much we've got. It's about what it's in. And some traditions of the church have taken this creed not just to be a declaration of faith, but actually a prayer in its own right. That as we say this creed, which we're going to do in a moment, we're almost making it our prayer. I do believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And maybe we can join in that wonderful uh, request of the man who had faith, but he wanted more. Do you remember that when Jesus challenges him and he says, do you you believe? And he says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And maybe we're sitting here this morning thinking we'd love a little bit more faith. Well, as we study this creed together and as we say it together in a moment, why don't we turn it into a prayer and ask that God would give us that gift of faith to be able to believe in him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Shall we stand? I'm going to pray for us before we say the creed together.